On this episode of A Reasonable Breakdown, I look at the remarkable story of Elizabeth Blackwell and how she defied all odds to become the first woman to graduate from an accredited American college with a degree in medicine. Episode 5, Elizabeth Blackwell. I was first introduced to Elizabeth Blackwell through someone's social media post. Of course I was. I mean, that's probably all you think I do is browse Facebook, but you'd be wrong. I spend my time on more refined websites like Reddit. Who am I kidding? Reddit's not refined at all. Anyway, it was a short snippet with a portrait of Blackwell and a very brief synopsis of her life, focusing on the fact that she was the first female doctor in the United States after a class full of men supposedly voted on whether to allow Blackwell to attend the college, and thinking that her application was just a joke, they all voted yes. This had all the trappings of a good social media post. One, it was about a woman, and two, it was about overcoming unimaginable odds to become a doctor in the good old U.S. of A. And it had a twist in that the all-male student body would ultimately allow a woman to attend this prestigious school all because they thought that the application was a joke. It seemed so absurd, so out there. But this is true. I'm not even going to waste your time here. This post checks out, and it's actually from a somewhat reputable source, Mental Floss. So if you want to stop right now, be my guest. I'll give you back 10-15 minutes of your time. But if you stick around, I'd like to dive into this woman's life and tell you a little bit about who she was, what she did, and share some things that I found interesting. So let's get to know Elizabeth Blackwell, shall we? While browsing womenshistory.org, I found an article all about Elizabeth Blackwell. She was born near Bristol, England on February 3, 1821. She was the third of nine children born to Hannah Lane and Samuel Blackwell. Now, this isn't any ordinary family. Samuel was a sugar refiner, Quaker, and anti-slavery activist. Elizabeth's brother, Henry, who was a well-known abolitionist and women's suffrage supporter by his own rights, ended up marrying women's rights activist Lucy Stone. Then you have Elizabeth's sister, Emily Blackwell, who decided to follow in her sister's footsteps and took up medicine. Finally, there's Antoinette Brown Blackwell, Elizabeth's sister-in-law. She was the first ordained female minister in a mainstream Protestant denomination. This family seemed destined for greatness and was going to go down in history as fighting for the right causes. Women's rights and slavery were huge back in the mid to late 1800s. All of this was leading up to the Civil War, which took place between 1861 and 1865. Soon, you know, you'll see Lincoln doing his thing to abolish slavery. And already this family was on the forefront of the turning point in American history. Now, here's something that caught my attention. Samuel Blackwell was a sugar refiner, right? Well, so what? What's the big deal? Well, he was anti-slavery, remember? He wanted to see slavery gone. So what he did was try to undermine the cane sugar industry in America. Cane sugar was being harvested by slaves, and if Samuel could figure out a way to make sugar without using slaves or using their methods, it could have a huge impact on the sugar industry and, in turn, on slavery. I don't know about you, but to me, that was some ingenious thinking on Samuel's part. He wanted to use beet sugar instead of cane sugar, but unfortunately, he died before he could get his factory set up and working. 
In the end, the first person to successfully produce beet sugar was David Lee Child, just one winter later in Northampton, Massachusetts. And even Child's best sugar operations didn't last but four or five years. It's really unknown whether or not Samuel Blackwell's attempt to disrupt the slave and sugar business with beet sugar would have worked, but I still applaud the guy for thinking outside the box. So, back to Elizabeth Blackwell. Eleven years after Elizabeth is born, the Blackwells decide to uproot and immigrate to America, settling somewhere around Cincinnati, Ohio in 1832. Not too long after that, while he's trying to get the beet sugar business up and running, Samuel Blackwell dies. I was unable to find a cause of death, but once he became ill, it wasn't too long after that that he passed away. And this left the Blackwells basically penniless. On his deathbed, according to an article from the New York History Review by Joel Million, Samuel Blackwell told his wife Hannah to take the kids back to England and left them with $25. Which, you know, back then wasn't that bad, but due to some money they owed, the Blackwells were basically broke. The only thing they could do was take up jobs. So, stuck in America with no money, these women, Elizabeth, her mother Hannah, and the two older sisters started teaching. That was really the only respectable job women could have back then. It was during this time that a friend of Elizabeth's was dying as well. She mentioned that her experience would have been better if she had only had a female doctor. This idea struck Elizabeth and resonated with her so much that she boarded with families of two southern physicians who ended up mentoring her. This would fuel her ambition to become a full-fledged doctor. In 1847, Elizabeth began seeking admission to medical schools. All of them rejected her applications. One article from cfmedicine.nlm.nih.gov, which is a website that celebrates America's women physicians, says that Blackwell applied to all of the medical schools in New York and Philadelphia, and then 12 more schools in the Northeast states. She was finally accepted by Geneva Medical College. But this part of the social media post was what I was mostly interested in and what I thought was the most absurd. Supposedly, according to multiple sources, Geneva Medical College had an all-male student body. The faculty didn't want to take responsibility for turning down a woman, so they decided they would leave it up to the students. The faculty thought, surely these guys would turn down a woman applicant, but the faculty severely underestimated the idiocy a group of all males can achieve. I mean, it's quite remarkable, really. And as a joke, this all-male student body voted yes, and Blackwell gained admittance, despite heavy reluctance from most of the students after they realized what they had just done, and, of course, most of the faculty, too. And it wasn't just the students or faculty at the college that were upset. This was such a taboo thing for women to attend medical college that even the townsfolk were perturbed by Blackwell's undeterred attitude. She was oftentimes ostracized by educators and patients. She was unable to attend labs and was even excluded from observing surgical demonstrations. However, her hard work and perseverance would eventually pay off. 
1849, Elizabeth Blackwell would graduate first in her class and become the first woman to earn a degree in medicine. After graduating, Blackwell moved back to England where she continued her training at St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London. She would even go to Paris and get experience there, though she was regulated to midwifery or nursing. Blackwell was also well ahead of her male co-workers, recognizing the importance of personal hygiene and preventative care. She even noticed that male doctors often caused epidemics by failing to simply wash their hands between patients, something we all take for granted nowadays. She would eventually return to New York in 1851, and still she was refused jobs at the hospitals and dispensaries. She was even unable to rent private offices to see her own patients. And in between gigs and while her private practice was gaining traction, Blackwell kept busy, writing a series of lectures published in 1852 titled The Laws of Life with Special Reference to the Physical Education of Girls. Now, do you remember that little war I spoke about between the North and the South? Well, Blackwell would be instrumental in organizing the Women's Central Association and Relief, along with the U.S. Sanitary Commission. These organizations worked to train nurses for war service all during the outbreak of the Civil War in 1861. Now, one of her biggest contributions to the medical field was when she worked with Florence Nightingale and opened the Women's Medical College. This school had high standards for admission and provided academic and clinical training. The school operated for 31 years with Blackwell on the chair of hygiene. Later on in life in 1869, Blackwell moved permanently to England, but she was far from done. She had a successful private practice, helped organize a little thing called the National Health Society in 1871, and was eventually appointed professor of gynecology at none other than the London School of Medicine for Women in 1875, which she held that position until an injury forced her to retire in 1907. Now, on May 31st of 1910, after suffering a stroke that would paralyze half of her body, Elizabeth Blackwell, a visionary who paved the way for the future of women in medicine, passed away quietly in her home. Elizabeth Blackwell made a much-needed splash in a field that had been occupied by men. It's women like Blackwell that I want my daughters to look up to and get inspired by. You know, some people only ask why. Why would you want to do this? Why would you want to do that? But the real change, I think, comes from those like Blackwell who instead ask, why not? You know, why can't women study medicine? Why can't women vote? Why can't a woman become the first vice president of the United States of America? Why can't women just be treated equal? It's just some food for thought. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about Elizabeth Blackwell, I recommend checking out her autobiography, Pioneer Work in Opening the Medical Profession to Women. I'm not sponsored by anyone, nor was I asked to plug this book. Just check it out if you want. There's also The Doctor's Blackwell by Janice P. Namura. Both of these books can be found on Amazon.com or through your local library. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Reasonable Breakdown. Stick around for the word of the day. I'm your host, Brian, and as always, have a wonderful day. The word of the day is... Shivery. It is a noun, 
Its origin is French from the mid-17th century. The definition is a noisy mock serenade performed by a group of people to celebrate a marriage or mock an unpopular person. Here is chivalry used in a sentence. The groomsmen broke out into a spontaneous chivalry as the reception was ending. The music used in this episode and what you're hearing right now is called Chill Out 14 by 1Tamera2 from pixabay.com.